Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Well, uh, good morning and welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Today is the last day of this series that we've been in in the summer called Charismata, where we've been exploring uh, the spiritual gifts, the specific ways in which God has equipped you and I um, to kind of further his kingdom in our day and age to love people back into his presence. And we're wrapping up today by talking about the spiritual gift of faith. Um, I mentioned this last week, and it was something that's really stuck with me because, you know, again, surprise, surprise, I don't know everything when I'm planning for these, so a lot of, like, prayer and preparation and study. And I find oftentimes every time I come around to very familiar uh, concepts, there's always something new there for me to learn. And I actually really love that. And as I was prepping last week... I knew that we were going to finish with these gifts of mercy and then faith. Um, I didn't know why. I didn't know why we were going to finish with those two, but I really felt like the Lord showed me um, last week as I was preparing for mercy that mercy and faith are like the fertile soil, the bedrock that holds the foundation that is the church. And we, you know, we began this whole series talking about the, the uh, five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, and evangelist, and how those five-fold become the foundation for all of the other gifts to, to enter in and to really thrive and find their place in the work of the church. But a good foundation has to sit on that solid, uh, that solid bedrock. And I really think that that's what mercy and faith are. They're kind of the mega gifts. They're the why, the undercurrent for everything else that we're doing. And so as I'm talking about this one, I want you to be just thinking about how all the other gifts that we've spoken of find their context and their meaning in the gifts of mercy and then today about faith. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into it. So Heavenly Father, um, yet again, we're, uh, you know, 25 weeks, I think, into doing this strange thing called remote church, but still we testify that you are here, that you are with us wherever we are right now in this moment, that you are for us, that you're advocating for us, that your son is at your right hand interceding for us, that your Holy Spirit is within us right now, um, praying in words that we can't even ascertain. Um, And that's what this is all about. It's about loving union with you. It's about coming together with one another, even if it is digitally, in worshiping you and giving you praise, in allowing the truth of your story to wash over us, to translate us, to transform us, so that when we leave this moment, we go back out into a world that's waiting to be loved back into your presence. So God, uh, please keep us open and available in this moment to you. Whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, we give you permission. And may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let's begin with the obvious. Let's talk about what faith actually is. And then as we're going along, we'll speak specifically about the gift of faith. Because like all the other gifts, and I've said this many times before, all of the gifts are available to all of us all of the time if we have the Holy Spirit. But 
some of the gifts are specially equipped to each of you for you to kind of lead the conversation in the community in that regard. And so those of you that have the gift of faith, if you want to give us a little bit of a shout out in, um, in the chat, if you're watching on our online church platform, just so we can celebrate you and we can be thinking about really specific people in our community as I'm speaking of the gift of faith, because you are the ones that are showing us this is what faith looks like in real time. So let's begin here. Faith is trust in who God is and active participation in his story, especially when the going gets tough. I think those two elements are really important for me when I think about what faith is. Number one, there is a deep abiding intimate trust in who God says he is and also what God has promised he's going to do. But it's also partnered with this active participation. There's part of faith that is about us coming alongside of God, co-conspiring with him, co-authoring our stories with him. Because a lot of times we think of faith as being something that's very passive. That to have faith means that we just sit back and we just twiddle our thumbs and we just wait for God to show up and do the thing. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily what faith is. That's not what we really see in scripture. And faith also isn't uh, blind. Sometimes we talk about blind faith, um, which is rather kind of escapist, that the world is crazy and it's dark and it's confusing and it's overwhelming. And if I just squinch my eyes and clench my fists and if I just wish hard enough, maybe I can summon up enough faith that prevents me from having to engage with the reality of the world the way that it is today. Um, but real faith isn't escapist, kind of blind faith, and it's also not passive, uh, an irresponsibility, an abdication of our role and our own stories, but it's actually understanding who God is, seeing him for who he truly is as revealed in Jesus, and then actively participating in his story to see the redemption of the whole world. And where else would we go to talk about faith and to see examples of it except for in Hebrews chapter 11? This is a phenomenal little distillation down of like what faith meant to the early church and story after story after story of people in scripture um, and even some beyond scripture that demonstrate what faith truly looks like in action. So what I wanna do is I wanna highlight just a couple of the little stories from this overall chapter, and I highly encourage you this week, go and read the whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 and the little intro piece in Hebrews chapter 12, just to kind of get this full sweep of what the author of the book of Hebrews is really um, approaching when it comes to faith. And so I'm going to read just different little portions, and I'm going to draw out of that one element or one angle to what faith actually means in the biblical sense so that we understand what we're talking about. So this is how it begins in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 right at the very beginning. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And so that, that confidence and assurance 
You see in the word assurance that it is a gift that we are receiving from God, that we believe God, that we trust him in who he is. But the confidence is a day-by-day, moment-to-moment participation in what that thing really looks like. And so the writer says, this is when we look back at the story of God, what we're doing is we're seeing stories of people who are trying to live by faith. They don't always get it right. As you know, from many of the, the biblical characters, especially those in the Old Testament, I remember how transformative it was for me in my own faith as a kid when I realized like, oh, most of these people in the Old Testament are kind of borderline terrible people. <laughs> they make mistakes all the time. They, they do, off, do and say awful things, but somehow they keep coming back to God in repentance. And God is so gracious and patient in working alongside of them to see them do what he's calling them to do. And that's what we see in this passage. And so all these people that we're going to be talking about, they stayed true to God, especially when everything around them told them another story. So again, as we're going through this, I want you to be thinking about where you're at right now. Everything in our society, in our culture is telling you a story that is not necessarily the story of God. And every day when you wake up, you're making a decision. Which story do I want to live into today? Do I want to live into the story that I read Um, on social media or in the news? Or do I want to live into the story that's offered to me through the saving work of Jesus? And so the first piece I want to look at is the story of Abraham. This is going to be Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 10. So by faith, Abraham, and you know, we consider Abraham the father of our faith. Uh, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And I love this line even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The story of Abraham is so radical because it's the first time in history Yahweh, God, comes to a person and says, go to the place I'm going to show you. And that person goes, okay. To go to the uncharted territory, the new place. Because in the, in the time of Abraham, everybody set where they were. They stayed put. It was an agricultural society. You rooted yourself and you built and you had your farms and you had your animals and you passed that along to your kids and they passed it along to their kids. It was this totally radical notion of what it means to be faithful for when this invisible voice shows up and says, go to this place. I'm going to show you where it is. And to say, okay, all of a sudden history now has a direction. Instead of it being a constant cycle, it's now this forward movement. And so faith is, for many of us, being obedient to that voice that tells us to go. And then secondly, recognizing the place we're being told to go has not been defined for us. We don't know where we're headed. And maybe you know that. Like a lot of times in the journey of faith, we come to God and we say, okay, I'm I'm willing to go, but first of all, tell me what to expect. What's it going to look like? What are the parameters? How will I know once I'm there? And God's constant reminder is, well, you'll know you're there because I'm with you. Because faith is always tied into the idea of constant loving union with God, constant intimacy with him, that wherever we end up is the promised land because it's defined by being with God. 
And so when we look at that participation, especially when all the facts aren't in and we don't always understand it, we recognize that it's actually part of faith um, when we embrace our confusion and our doubt and our pain and our suffering. All of these things have context in our faith. They're not the opposite of faith. And I think some of you really need to be blessed with that, especially in this season where everything feels terrible and it's so which is wild, all these things that are going around, you're really questioning a lot of things. The act of questioning your faith is part of being faithful, but it's always in, with an eye towards being in intimate union with God. The next passage I want to look at is in Hebrews 13 to 16. The writer kind of pauses and gives us another one of these really big pictures of how these people are living. And it reads like this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And this is the line I want you to pay attention to. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Sometimes when we enter into the uncharted territory, when the going gets rough, there's a temptation for us to look behind and to say, well, why don't we just go back to where we came from? Because it's very much a part of the human experience that we would rather suffer in familiar ways than risk the possibility of freedom that we don't understand yet. And we often, if you're honest, we, we live like that all the time. I would rather go backwards. I'd rather, you know, in the story of the Israelites when they, they're complaining in the desert, like, well, let's go back to Egypt. It wasn't totally bad there. You know, at least we had food, at least we had shelter. Yeah, we were enslaved to the Egyptians. And Moses is always reminding them, no, this is what it means to live by faith, to enter into the uncharted territory. And so faith means persevering and it means pressing into the reality of a resurrection life that maybe we don't see yet. To believe that because God is good, the place he's taking us by definition is good, that there is new life that we can lay claim to in the midst of confusion and pain and suffering. But we cannot go backward. And I think for a lot of you, and I know I feel the temptation sometimes in this season where it's so hard to do church and it feels so hard to be faithful to God, there's a temptation to go back to the countries we came from, to kind of relax on our faith, to just you know, retreat back into our more basic forms of survival um, because it's hard to pursue Jesus right now. I know it is. And many of you have confessed that to me. It's really hard to pursue Jesus right now. But these are the times that it's so important that we continue to move forward in our faith, being formed by that pursuit of Jesus. And I actually believe that it's in these really difficult times in our lives that we are most formed to look like him because there's, it matters more. We feel it on that deep, deep level. And I think that brings us to the next little portion. This is um, talking about Moses in verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now this is this line, this will blow your mind. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now what on earth is Christ doing in the story of Moses? When you go back and you, you read the Old Testament, there's no mention in the story of Moses of him having a relationship with Jesus. But what we see here, if we believe that Christ is the anointed one, the chosen one, that Moses was actually an archetype or a pre-type for Christ, that Christ is Moses fully revealed, Moses believed that God was going to deliver his people. And that was fulfilled in who Jesus was as the Christ, the Messiah. So Moses was always looking towards that ultimate deliverance uh, by the God that we know through the person of Jesus. And what I find so fascinating here is that Moses is saying that he would rather be mistreated and he would rather choose suffering for the sake of Christ, the saving work of God, than he would for the treasures of Egypt. And I think that's what we're being confronted with when it comes to faith today. Are we more willing to suffer and be mistreated and endure the discomfort for the sake of pursuing Jesus than we are to resort to the treasures of Egypt, whatever that might be for us. And for many of us um, in American society, that's simply just comfort. We are addicted in our culture to comfort. And so when the going gets tough and we have to choose between the discomfort of pursuing Jesus and the comfort afforded to us by American exceptionalism and materialism, we choose the latter because it's easier. You see, when we were kind of pre-COVID, when we have this illusion that everything's fine and everything's kind of petering along, we never really had to question where our allegiances lie. But we are in a, in a season now where there is a sifting happening in the church in America. But even in City Beautiful Church, we are being sifted. And what's being revealed, where does our faith truly lie? Are we going to continue to pursue the God that's revealed in Jesus, even though that requires suffering and discomfort? Or are we going to go back to our former homes? Are we going to choose the treasures of Egypt, the new Egypt, the new empire that promises us comfort and satisfaction in material things and just taking it easy um, and trying to avoid as much pain as possible? And that's the power of what we see in the story of Moses that the writer here wants us to know. That Moses said, to know Jesus is far greater than all the treasures of Egypt. You see, people with a gift of faith understand that. It is always better to know Jesus, to be in loving union with him, than it is for any of the creature comforts that are offered to us. We've always lived this way, but now that is what is being revealed in us. And the final piece that I want to read is kind of the end as the writer tells a couple more stories of some specific people and jumps in in verse 32. She says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, 
about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I don't know about you, um, but that, <laughs> that puts me in my place. When I read a passage like that, what I'm reading is our family heritage. These are our brothers and sisters, our fathers and mothers, those who have come before us through scripture and through um, the church tradition, the history of the church. And that line speaking about the way that they lived and died, it just blows me away. It's one of my favorite things in all of scripture to say the world was not worthy of them. Do you and I have a faith, a trust in who God is, and a steadfast participation in his story and what he's doing, that that's what people would write about us? Like, I want to get to the end of my life, if I'm not martyred, which, you know, we'll see. But if I get to the end of my life, I want to have a tombstone that says on it, the world was not worthy of this man. That's the kind of faith that I want to live out. But the reality is living out that kind of faith is a choice that's made every day. It's not a choice that's made when soldiers are at our doors or when we're burning at the stake or being sawed in two. Like that, that is not the moment where you decide to be faithful. It's living faithful to Jesus every single day that gives us that kind of witness when called upon to show where our allegiances truly lie. And indeed, the word martyr is the Greek word. It originally just means witness, but the early church latched onto it and, and gave it as a, as a title of honor to those people who, because of the radical witness of their lives, were a threat to the status quo. They were a threat to the society around them because their very presence caused everybody else to question the system. That's what it means to live radically by faith. And faith does not mean conformity, um, but it doesn't, also doesn't just mean rebellion. It, faith does not mean like everybody goes left, so I'm just going to go left. And faith doesn't mean everybody's going left, so I'm going to go right. Faith means everybody's going left. Lord, what would you have me do? And where would you have me be? And maybe in that moment, that decision you're trying to make, faith is to conform. It's the most conventional thing that could possibly happen. I think gathering together on a Sunday morning to worship God it's super conventional. We've been doing it for 2,000 years, but it's an act of faith. 
And sometimes the act of faith is totally radical and it seems rebellious and contrary to society, but conformity and rebellion are human measurements of decisions when faithfulness means that we kind of leave behind all of that and we say regardless of whether it looks like everything else or it's totally off the wall, I'm going to be faithful to God and allow everybody else to judge that how they will. And so we see in this passage in Hebrews 11 all these little insights into what does faith look like as the the intersection of trust and participation that these are the people that lived by faith. And so I think this is what we can really, as we're honing it down a little bit more to the gift, we can say this, that the people with the gift of faith have already overcome the world because they're living out the Jesus story. You know, these stories in scripture, the stories of the martyrs, they're not prescriptions. They're not, this is how you should behave. These are the thing, kinds of things that you should be doing in order to be a faithful person. Because again, there's no intimacy in prescription. But these stories are intended as testimony, as witness, to inspire something within you and I to believe that these are the kinds of lives that we can live when we live according to faith, when we reorient our decision-making and our values and our priorities to be faithful men and women of God. The stories of the martyrs are the stories of cross-shaped people, people who have been shaped to look and live out the story of Jesus day to day. And when the moment came for them to, to put that on display for the whole world, they didn't back down. I want to tell, just to kind of bring it into more modern times, I want to tell a story, uh, one of the most powerful stories that I've ever come across of a Christian martyr. Uh, Christian de Serge was, uh, he grew up in a French military family in France. He was an officer during the Algerian War in 1959. And, and there's a little moment where he tells the story of, uh, of an insurgents. And uh, there's a Muslim man named Muhammad who had a, a family of 10 kids that actually saved his life. And it was in that moment that Deshazay, um realized what it means to truly be loved. And this radical encounter prompted him to go back to France with this resolution that he was going to become a Trappist monk. And so he eventually, he got trained up, he served a couple different places, and he eventually was able to go uh, back to Algeria um, to serve at the Our Lady of Atlas Priory. And he facilitated a lot of conversation between Christians and Muslims um, in trying to find some common ground and really giving a deeper insight to what Islam is truly like. Um, and some of you may remember in the early 90s, um, there was a rise in Islamic extremism in Algeria um, as, as extremists sought to kind of uh, take control of that country. And part of what they were doing is they were going around and, and, and murdering foreigners and, and people who were not Algerian and were not Muslim. And several times, these extremists attacked uh, the priory where uh, Deschersay was uh, was stationed, but he was resolute. When a lot of people were encouraging him, you need to leave, you need to flee the country. Um, he said, I cannot abandon the Algerian people. My calling is to be here. And so eventually, uh, Christian de Chaget was uh, captured, kidnapped, uh, and then beheaded by these Islamic ex extremists sometime between March and May of 1996. We're not exactly sure when. But the fascinating thing about Deschargé's story is that prior to his kidnapping, he sat down and he wrote out a letter 
um, that, was, that was found later on and has become his testament. And so what I want to do is I want to read the words of Christian de Cerze and I want you to think about this is a man of faith. This is a man that the world was not worthy of who was alive in our lifetime. And so these are his parting words to the world. If it should happen one day, and it could be today, that I become a victim of the terrorism that now seems to encompass all the foreigners living in Algeria, I would like my community, my church, my family, to remember that my life was given to God and to Algeria, and that they accept that the sole master of all life was not a stranger to this brutal departure. I would like when the time comes to have a space of clearness that would allow me to beg forgiveness of God and of my fellow human beings. And at the same time, to forgive with all my heart the one who will strike me down. I could not desire such a death. It seems to me important to state this. How could I rejoice if the Algerian people I love were indiscriminately accused of my murder? My death obviously will appear to confirm those who has hastily judged me naive or idealistic. Let him tell us now what he thinks of it. But they should know that for this life lost, I give thanks to God. In this thank you, which is said for everything in my life from now on, I certainly include you, my last minute friend, who will not have known what you are doing. I commend you to the God in whose face I see yours. And may we find each other happy good thieves in paradise if it pleases God, the father of us both. His words cause me to tremble. The, the kind of faith, the, the resolution to stay true to God and the calling that he's placed upon your life but not only that, but to first of all, be in a position to want to ask forgiveness of God and others for any kind of sin that you've incurred against them. And then to forgive your own assassin before he comes through the door, wishing him the best and hoping that he recognizes um, that he too is loved by God and that we will see each other in heaven. I just wonder sometimes with the stories that we see about the church today in the news, and granted many of them are obscured by um, feelings of animosity towards faith, but I just wonder how many of us are living that kind of faith that's so grounded in who God is, but so actively lives that, that cross-shaped, that Jesus-shaped life where we're saying perpetually every day with every breath, Father God, forgive these people because they do not know what they're doing where we're living a life where we are constantly asking forgiveness to be released of our own sin, where we're walking free because, because we're not trying to hide anything from God. That when we're put in those difficult situations where we respond to the violence of the world with the forgiveness of God, we need these kinds of stories because they remind us of what the gift of faith truly looks like in action. And as I was preparing this message, 
not only was I thinking about the heroes of the faith in the scripture or the martyrs throughout 2,000 years of church history, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about the people that are logged in right now, the people that you're sitting next to or the people that you're, you're texting with or whatever it might be. And I was thinking about people in our community and how so many of you have overcome tremendous difficulty where you've hit a wall in your faith, but rather than choosing the comforts of Egypt, rather than going back to your foreign country, you've chosen to sit in those places as painful and confusing as they are and to continue to have faith in God that he is going to do something through the spirit of Jesus to help you move forward. And you have, and you've done it. And I've been in awe for seven years of seeing time and again, the faithfulness of God to his people, but the faithfulness of all of you to him, that you didn't run when the going got tough, that you didn't abandon him when things were confusing or you didn't know what to believe, that you didn't ban- abandon one another, but you've linked arms and arms and you've, you've connected with each other and said, we're choosing in. We're choosing to trust God and who he says he is and what he's going to do. And we're choosing to participate with him in that. The next series we're going to do is called What to Do When Everything is Terrible. I only wanted to call it Everything is Terrible, but I guess not everybody has my same sense of humor. But what do we do when everything is terrible? What does it look like for us to live by faith, a real faith, a faith that's not escapist, a faith that's not blind, but a real grounded faith in those moments? What does it look like to live faith now? the way the world is around us? How do we live with that kind of readiness and resolution that we see in the saints that have come before us? I believe that faith, like grace, is more a gift that we receive than a status we have to earn. Many of us have grown up in Christian traditions where faith is something that we have to muster up or we have to work really hard in order to uh, attain a certain level of faith. And it's always kind of, you hear these jokes, even within our own community of like people leveling up in their faith because they're doing something. But faith isn't a commodity. Faith is a gift. And the only thing that makes a gift a gift is an open-handed willingness to receive it. And so we have to recognize that an increase in our faith is something that we ask for, not something that we earn. You know, so often we measure our decisions by either our aesthetics, what feels good to me today, or even by our ethics, what is the right behavior for me to to behave uh, based on conventional wisdom. But we've got to transcend all of that to live by faith, to say, God, what would you have me do? And there's this beautiful little story that Daniel reminded me of earlier in this week. In Mark chapter 9, um, a man comes to Jesus because his little boy is possessed by a demon and is just kind of throwing him all over the place. And they, it's just, it's, it's a messy situation. And so the man is coming to Jesus, looking for Jesus to perform a miracle uh, to deliver his child. And this is in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love Jesus' response. He says, if you can, 
said Jesus. Again, it's so funny that this man is just like, well, if you can do anything, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Do you ask God for an increase in your gift of faith? Or do you still believe that it's something that you have to earn? Or maybe it's just that it's something for other people and you just have to be content with where you're at right now. What I love about this story is it shows us that intimacy begets intimacy. That this man, he says, I do believe, I know who you are. You are the God revealed in Jesus. You are the Messiah promised to us. But because I know you, I'm asking for more. I want to know you more. I want to trust you more. I want to participate more in what it is that you're doing in the world. You and I, we have to ask God for an increase in our gift of faith or we won't see it because either we've given up or we believe um, that it's something that we have to earn. And so the way that I wanted to finish out this series was coming to the table. We've done this a couple times uh, during the pandemic while we cannot be together uh, because there's something about this sacred symbol that speaks to faith. It's a summation of everything that we've been doing, that this, the gifts are the tangible work of Jesus through the church for the world and that the cup and the bread are the tangible elements that demonstrate the reality of what Jesus has done for all of us. That when we come to the table, we are asking for an increase of faith. When you come to the table, when you receive the cup, when you receive the bread, you're saying, Lord, I believe. I believe you are who you are. I believe that you will do what you've said that you've done. But we're also saying, help me in my unbelief in my confusion, in my pain, in my lack of understanding. Help me in that. And so the beauty of the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, is that we come open-handed. We don't take communion from the table. We receive it because it's a gift from God. This is trust. This is participation in the ongoing work of God. This is us embodying his story to remind us of who he truly is and who we truly are. I don't have all the facts. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen with our church in the long term. I don't know what's going to happen with our country. And guess what? Neither do you. But we're here in this moment, we're here together. And God is present as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so I'm gonna pray, we're gonna to come to the table, and then we're gonna step back in to musical worship. So Heavenly Father, I just bless every single person in our community who so beautifully and powerfully demonstrates uh, the gift of faith, this extraordinary trust in who you say that you are, but this resolute willingness to participate, to continue to have some skin in the game, to co-author with you this fantastic story that we call the human experience. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, wherever we're at and whatever elements that we've gathered this morning to participate in the Holy Eucharist, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus 
that this would be an act of faith. This would be us coming to you and saying, I believe Jesus, but also I need help in my unbelief. May we receive these gifts as a participation in our own faith, that it would shore up within us the perseverance that we need in times like this. Pray all of these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's come to the table. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.